Greetings and welcome back to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Louis Studs Turkle. In my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me the chance to check in with good, hardworking people and take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you support the mission of Studs, and if you dig the program, I got an easy way for you to show your love. Just head on over to patreon.com studs. You'll find the link in the show notes. I offer you a range of rewards for your support. And you can get some pretty cool stuff for a couple bucks. And listen, if you need to take a free ride, I get it. I've been on that train. But you can still do your part to help. Leave a rating, leave a review, and tell a pal or two to listen to your favorite episode. This here, this here indeed, might be your favorite episode. Because today you'll get to enjoy my conversation with Alexis Bedoyan. Lex is a baker with a heart of gold and an obsession with sweet street food. She walks us from America to Greece and back again to tell us how she pivoted from her career in law to a career in glittery, sparkling deliciousness. So join us in conversation to learn how and why Lex spreads joy one cookie at a time. Alexis Bedoyan, I have been waiting to have you on the Studs Pod for some time. This is a real treat. Lex, welcome to Studs. How do you describe what you do? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I own a baking business where I sell retail and wholesale to restaurants, bakeries, cafes, and pastry shops, as well as consult businesses on menu and product development, and I do catering for special events. It sounds like a lot of plates to juggle. It sounds like a lot of cakes could fall. But before we get into (laughs) all of that, can you tell me, Lex, how did you get on this path? I know it has something to do with law school, logistics, and a couple of continents. But (laughs) fill it in for me. How did you become a baker? I have been baking pretty much since the day I was born. Uh, My mom has a picture of me as a newborn punching out dough while my grandmother like holds me. I grew up in some big baking kitchens. I have an Armenian grandma. I have a Greek yaya. I've got my mom. Baking has always been a big part of, of my upbringing. In law school, I would bake just as a stress release and give everything away. And then I moved to Greece in 2011 and I was working at a shipping company and in Greece when you celebrate things you bring sweets so it was my first anniversary of being in Greece and I didn't want to bring sweets from the pastry shop I mean they're good but like it just was not anyway I made a bunch of American style cookies I filled them I rolled them with all the goodness and they did not have those kinds of cookies in Greece at the time so I brought them to work and everybody went crazy And then everyone started placing orders, and I ended up connecting with a guy who sold boxes to many of the pastry shops in Athens, and he loved my stuff. So he took me around to see if there was even a market. In fact, my first meeting was with the director of purchasing with the biggest bakery chain 
in Greece and he's like, I'll take five tons, but he helped me. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, He's like, I can't even take these to my boss because he'll want you to deliver them on Monday. I think it was like (laughs) Thursday or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but he was awesome. He just really helped me out. He ran numbers with me, told me how things need to be packaged, delivered, all those things. And it just went from there. I didn't quit my job to devote 100% of my time to that for a few years, but During that time, I did recipe development, Marcus Research, focus groups, and I started doing my own thing. In tandem, I was working with some kitchens, some of the top-rated pastry shops and restaurants in Athens. And I worked with some really amazing and visionary pastry chefs and business owners and got some really good mentors. I asked a million questions, and I learned so much. And that's pretty much how I got started. So, Lex, you're... Baking style seems to me to be uniquely American, but it also seems like you draw inspirations from around the world. Can you talk a bit about how your international experiences have informed your tastes and have informed your sensibilities? Oh my God, they totally have. So I'm Greek Armenian American and I grew up in a pretty cultural household I lived in Greece for almost a decade. I've traveled to so many places in the world, and I really love life, Dan. <laughs> like I've had some pretty amazing and crazy experiences. And all of these experiences really make up who I am and how I see the world. So I've got these colors, flavors, textures, you know, the smells, appearances. There are rituals or significance behind an item or an ingredient. And it's like taking all of these experiences I've had and translating them into food. And I don't want to make them exactly how they're made in that country because that's not how I experience them. So I end up creating something with a twist that blends some of these different experiences and emotions to tell a part of my story. Like when I eat a cannoli, let's say, I just have this explosion in my head that I'm like, I'm going to do this, but it's not an Italian cannoli. It's with the Greek. And, you know, I tasted this on a travel here or a texture and and I just blend all these together. And then I, I mean, there is that American quality to everything I do where it's kind of a little obnoxious. And I mean this in the best way for me because I'm not putting myself down, you know, but like a little obnoxious. It's a little in your face. It's a little messy, but it is just, it's, it's fun, you know, and, and colorful. And I always bring that to every, I don't know how to turn that off, but the food that I make is like a journal of my life. Like it is a direct expression of who I am and my experiences. Well, I look forward to hearing some of the stories from the journal of your life in this conversation. And I know that the whole journal isn't exactly this tidy, but it seems to me like there are at least three facets of your work, right? There's like baking in and of itself, like the the work of baking. And then there's your business, your entrepreneurialism, And then perhaps related to that directly is customer relations. And if it's cool with you, Lex, I kind of like to learn about all three of those things in that order. Are you comfortable with that? Yep, sure. So let's just start with the work of baking. I hope that you'll grant me this grace and 
forgive me for trammeling and stereotypes. But growing up in and around Chicago, I have uh, a, a lot of positive experiences with Greek people and Greek restaurants, Greek culture, and Greek food. And I can only imagine that your childhood was full of family and food and boisterous affairs. I, I, I hope I'm right both because I want the stereotype to be true and because I don't want to offend you and because I want to hear some of these stories. Can you tell me, did you grow up in one of these Greek-American families where food was just kind of at the center of everything? Dan, I grew up in a family where literally everything we did revolved around what we were eating. (laughs) (laughs) Be it lunch or dinner, who's coming over? Is there always something for someone to eat if they just stop by? And I don't mean a little something, you know. I'd go to my grandparents' house. Even when I'd come home from college, like to visit my parents, whatever, we'd just go to the fridge, open the door, cock a hip, first thing we do. There were always people coming in and out of the house. Always. Everything revolved around baking, the more or cooking and food. Like the more people at the table, the merrier. It really, everything you said, that's exactly true. <laughs> it's totally my, my upbringing. Were there generations of Greek family members like in the kitchen together cooking? Was the kitchen sort of the nexus of family life? Oh, yeah. The kitchen's where it's at. And I don't care how big or small that kitchen is. It's packed with people because, yes, like my grandmother, my mom, me or my cousins, you know, my sisters, whatever, we're all in there. My aunts, like everybody's in there together. Yeah. That to me, like the kitchen is, I mean, they say it's the heart. It really is. When I lived in Chicago, my friends would come over and we'd cook and we'd just hang out. Before I even had a kitchen table, we'd just sit on the floor and like eat. <laughs> I'd cook these huge meals. They'd stop by, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't have anything. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, let me throw this dinner together. And then we're just like sitting around, hanging out, eating. It's, it's such a wonderful, communal, interactive affair. Yeah, I really love that. Hey, what's your grandmother's masterpiece? Like the, the the dragon you've been chasing, you wish you could reproduce it. No, we did. So my grandmother, <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother was famous for her kulurakia, which are these like, they're these Greek twisted cookies. Now in Greece, they make them with oil. We make them with butter. There's our secret. So we have her recipe and she has two different recipes. So there's like a war between my mom and my aunt, you know, about whose <laughs> recipe is best. <laughs> and if either of them ever hear this, I'm going to get so busted. But it's totally true. <laughs> and like growing up, my grandma, you have to twist them. There is an art to the twist. My mom like throws them up in the air like pizza dough and twists these things. It's amazing. Growing up, when we would make them with Yaya, she would always make us have our own separate baking sheet because ours weren't good enough to make the cut for her. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, even then sometimes you'd like put them on the sheet and they'd disappear because she'd throw them back in the bowl because they just were not even uh, making any kind of cut. Like that was it. So that's it. And that's been passed down to all of us. And in fact, I had my aunt send me a box to Greece, which... Every family has their own recipe. Everybody's are the best. 
But I took them to the office in Greece and everyone was like, these are the best we have ever had. I was like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Maybe this is a kind of out of left field question, but you grew up in a kitchen full of food, full of life. It makes sense that, you know, you would have fallen in love with life in the kitchen. Why baking as opposed to cooking? What is it about baking in particular that really draws you? I think it's the treat factor for me because growing up, you know, it's always like the dessert. It's something to look forward to, even though dinner was awesome too. But, you know, it was always <laughs> this little bit of extra and... I really think it's that treat factor that's always stuck with me. Say you make a batch of cookies. What is that, like 15, 20 cookies? Yeah. If you make one batch of cookies and you give one cookie to 15 or 20 different people in one day, look at how many smiles you just made. Like, have you ever seen someone bite into a cookie? A good one, a good cookie. For just a moment, they just, they close their eyes, they go to this other place, and it's just this, like, what is this? <laughs> they have this pure, sweet joy, you know? I don't know if you know that look, but it is amazing and is literally why I do what I do. It is like my way of spreading the love, the joy, and goodness, and just happiness, and human contact, and all of this is just in this little thing and I have the ability to reach so many people, and I love it, and I'm so grateful for that. But that's literally why I do what I do and why I've kept on going. It is the most beautiful thing. And in fact, when I was in Greece, people would always say, you know, when they had something I made, congratulations. And I thought it was so sweet, but I never really got it. And I was in Naples with a friend of mine, and we walked past the shop, and it was just, they only sold one thing. And so I was like, we got to go in there. Like, and they just sold this like Italian kind of cheesecake type of thing. So we went in and I got a slice and I ate it. And my friend is sitting there talking to the ladies and I'm just have the biggest permagrit on my face and I'm crying. I mean, just tears <laughs> oh. just coming down my face. And the ladies don't speak English and they're looking at me like I'm absolutely bananas and my friends <laughs> dying laughing and I just look at these women and I'm like oh my god congratulations congratulations <laughs> and I was like to my friend I'm like tell them how amazing this is hmm. and she's just dying and I was like I get it you know and it's it's such an honor yeah look what food can do right isn't that amazing look what food can do yeah, it brings us together. It brings us joy. It oftentimes brings us a bona fide release. And in order to make that happen, you, Lex, you need to have some space. And I guess I hope you might begin to describe for us your ideal workspace. Maybe we can start here. Currently, now you're back from Greece, you're baking in Texas. Right now, can you talk a little bit about what your workspace looks like and what it feels like? So right now I'm using another kitchen and I'm actually looking for my own space. So that's kind of like to be able to kind of build something out a little bit is pretty exciting. But um, super clean, like the best kitchen is a clean one, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sterile clean. Yeah. And it's got some prep tables, stainless steel prep tables, kind of across from each other. 
which I I enjoy. I've always worked in a kitchen where they're set up that way. So it really, you can talk to people. They can help you. You know, there's a little, you're working, but you can still communicate and have that communal interaction. And then along the edges, you've got your freezers, stand-up freezers, stand-up fridges. We also have a walk-in freezer, but not every place has that. Your floor mixers. There's a closet for dry storage, a dish area, um, a burner. So we're talking about a super clean space with all the tools and all the accoutrements that you need to get the job done. Can you talk to me a little bit about like the vibe you like to have in the kitchen? Like you're trying to create a product that really sparks joy, if I can say that without sounding cheeky or whatever. But like you're trying to create a product that sparks joy. The environment in which it's created does matter. Tell me about what you like your kitchen to feel like. Okay, so the vibe is pretty chill. Always upbeat. Everyone's having a good time. You know, you can talk with each other. Music always on and never frantic. That's how mistakes get made. Things get spilled. Things get burned. It's not like you're behind a line in a restaurant or anything. So we all have schedules. And even if you have like a last minute order or something that needs to be rushed, it's never like running around like you see in the movies, you know, <laughs> yeah. running around trying to get something out. We don't have that restaurant hot food right now thing. It's just chill, relaxed, yeah. but definitely professional. Well, that's cool that you got to have sort of a chill environment in which to do something that you love. I'm feeling myself envious. I know that uh, envy is not the appropriate response, but it just sounds like you got something figured out, huh? I love what I do. I mean, I really love what I do. Yeah. And I'm also, I personally, my whole life have felt that I'm equally left and right brained. And I feel like this business kind of feeds perfectly into both of those. How's that? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, because like when I was in law school, I just started taking fashion design classes and textile. I got really into textile design and everything after law school because I was not feeding my artsy side of me. But here I get to do both. I run a business and I get to create and I get to work with my hands, which is, is really so fun for me. So I feel like it's kind of a win-win for my whole thing. I'm sure if I took one of those tests, I'd be off, but I feel like this <laughs> So can you walk our listeners through the types of products that you bake in your kitchen? Sure. So for, let's say for the wholesale side, I make loaf cakes, brownies, all different flavors, all different flavor cakes, um, layered cakes, cheesecakes, all different flavor cookies. I have like a catalog of things depending on, on the restaurant or the cafe or whatever. And if I do pop-ups or markets, I make sweet street food, which is my favorite thing in the world. That is like my jam. I am obsessed with it. I feel like that is where I really can express myself in my truest form. Like I am like bananas about it. I can't even tell you I'm so passionate 
about sweet street food. I absolutely love everything about it. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <not> Lex, <laughs> what, I, you have to help me. What is sweet street food? I kind of made it up, but on one hand, you can say ice cream because it's, 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 you know, street food. You put it in your hand, you walk, whatever. But for me, I like to punch it up. So, like, I make Greek cannolis. I make um, cheesecake souvlakia. I make all these fun things. I just take all my experiences and I create these really fun concepts that you can eat in your hand. They're a little bit messy or a lot, you know, they're so fun. They're like a feast for the senses, just these kind of explosions. And I really, I love it. And I'm always coming up with new things. And every time I try something, my head just, I don't know, it just takes me to a different place. And my favorite thing in the world is to, to make these things up. I love it. I, it is so much fun for me. And then, like, to get people, when they eat it, it's just, it's, it's insane. It's really exciting. You love the reactions that you get, like, when you can... I love it. Yeah? I live for that. Like, I live for it. Yeah. Uh, so, we have the sweet street food, and I think that means that you... Do you, like, rent a food truck? Are you out selling things on the corner? I've done street food festivals, pop-ups, market. We'll see. At some point, I'll probably have retail doing that. So for now, that kind of thing is more on a pop-up basis. The street food scene in the U.S. is what it is. But were you selling sweet street food when you were living in Greece? Yeah, actually, that's how I got into it. We have an Athens street food festival and the producers contacted me one year and asked me to participate. And it was like 30 some booths. They asked me to participate and have a booth and make something that like hadn't ever been made before. I was working at a place and I was selling like crazy amounts of cheesecake. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do something with a cheesecake. And then I just came up with all these different things to sell. And that that's how I got, I became absolutely obsessed with dessert street food after that like that was it for me and so about what percent if you will of your current market is sweet street food versus about what percent goes to wholesale versus retail mostly it's custom cakes and wholesale i'm hoping in the near future to be doing it a lot more once i have my own kitchen so let's talk about cakes. I will link our listeners to your Instagram page where I saw some of these amazing, like epic, really, frankly, beautiful cakes. Can you walk me through what it takes to craft a perfect cake? Thank you. That's so sweet of you to say that. I love making cakes. The best cake order for me is when I don't have any direction. Or maybe they'll tell me certain colors or whatever. And then I think about the recipient and I just, it kind of goes from there. And actually, I'll, a lot of times I have an idea for a cake and then I'll start making it and it just takes me somewhere else and it becomes something totally different than what I had anticipated. And it's even so much better 
and more fun and sparkly, always sparkly, always sparkly. <laughs> I love the glitter. I told my mom when I die, I want them to cover my body in disco dust. And she was like, <laughs> she's like, you're telling the wrong person. I'm going to go before you. But it is, it makes everything so much better, like sprinkles and like this edible glitter. I mean, it is such a party. But I always think of the recipient. Once I had a woman order a cake and she's like, my friend's, it's my friend's birthday. Her mom died a week ago. And I thought, oh my God, this woman needs to get away. So I just made this really beautiful, pastel-y, beachy, Palm Beach kind of vibe cake for her. I really try to think of the recipient. And honestly, I just pretend they're all for me. I'm like, every day's my birthday. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just pretend all these cakes are for me, and I have so much fun making them. I mean, they're really gorgeous. They're kind of like, some of them are cakes that like you kind of don't believe that they're edible, and if they are, you kind of feel like you shouldn't be eating them. <laughs> You know, for the same reason, you, you know, you wouldn't mess with the Mona Lisa. Like these things are, they're quite, quite remarkable. What's the hardest part about making a perfect, say, a wedding cake? Okay, a wedding cake is something different because I put pressure on myself because I always want a cake to be perfect for this occasion. But with a wedding, there's already that for most couples up until that moment is like the most important day of their lives. Right. So they already have so much pressure on them and stress. I really try to make sure that what we're creating is in line with their vision and really helps tell part of their story. And also the, they take so much longer and there's so much more intricate. I think just making sure that the vision is a unified, a unified thing, and you're really being true to the couple. Can you walk me through what those conversations sound like when you sit down with a couple, let's say it's a couple you've never met before, and, you know, they're excited about their wedding, you know, and to at least one of them, the cake is a big deal, and they really want to get it right they consult with you. They came to you through word of mouth. They trust you. What do you talk with them about? So I ask them to tell me about their, their event. You know, what is the theme? What are the colors? Is it casual or formal? Where's the location? How many people? The date and the budget. And then they paint a picture of what it's going to be like. And then if they have pictures or ideas of cakes, they'll email those to me and we'll discuss possible flavors and schedule a tasting. And then at the tasting, if they don't have a specific style in mind, I'll have like a mood board or something so we can look at styles and really define their vision. And then we finalize the details, sign a contract and they take a deposit. But I just really want this to live up to their expectations. If you walk down that path, holding hands together, walking together, you, you get there. You know, the cakes always, hopefully always exceed their expectations. Yeah. I'm sure that you always meet and probably usually 
exceed their expectations. Lex, what do you do in preparing a wedding cake that makes your cakes a cut above the rest? Like, what do other bakers not get right that you're able to nail? Because you're pretty successful at this. You're obviously doing something right. I think that there are so many beautiful and amazing wedding cakes. I know that mine tastes good, too. And I think a lot of times people will comment that they have the most exquisite or beautiful cakes and they don't taste good. But mine tastes really good. Like, if I'm not going to eat it, I'm not going to make it. I have really high standards with the quality and the flavor of my products. And I think it is hard for a lot of people. You have to make them days in advance because they're so intricate and they take so much time to decorate. But for me, I think it's the flavor because it can look beautiful. But if nobody wants to eat it, where's the fun? (laughs) Yeah. You don't get that look when they close their eyes, you know? Yeah. I mean, look, as someone who prefers not to eat most wedding cakes, it's nice to hear you affirm my suspicion that a lot of wedding cakes, they look gorgeous, but they don't always taste so great. And half the people at the wedding are drunk. Maybe they can't taste it anyway. But like you really take pride in making it delicious too, eh? Oh, yeah. Yes. So to make a delectable wedding cake, you have to select delectable ingredients You want to reach a certain price point. You know, you don't want to make your cakes affordable only to the top 1%. I guess I wonder what you've learned about ingredient selection that us novice bakers could stand to know. I use quality ingredients. It does matter. But just because it is the most expensive doesn't mean it is the best tasting. And I feel like a lot of times things that are marketed to us say otherwise. But I think that's one thing we have to keep in mind. And and for people, like, it's so great to just try new things. Ingredients are so much fun. So often they tell stories. When you think about ingredients, try to try to push the envelope a little bit. I mean, the best concoctions are often they've come out of mistakes. So I think it's really fun just to experiment with them. And it's just a fun thing to do anyways, to just try things out. Yeah. And it's not, they're not all winners, but that's okay. You know. So Lex, I am going to put you in an impossible position here. And I am going to ask you to share with me the three studs of this table. If you could pick three concoctions that in some ways speak to your mission as a baker. Three Lex Originals that illustrate your voice as a baker. What would those three be? Dude, (laughs) that is so hard. Well, the one of them would be something I haven't even made yet. Okay, for sure. <laughs> but I think, um, so I'll say, I'll say, maybe I'll say four. Okay. I'll start it with a cookie because a cookie to me is very humble. That is how I started my company and I never want to forget that. And oh, to the cookie, who doesn't love a cookie? And also, you know, what's great about a cookie, you know, in Greece, 
when there's a memorial, you make this certain kind of biscotti and the ingredients, you know, it's not a sweet thing necessarily, but it's such a beautiful thing. And so there's that kind of cookie and you can have a cookie with your coffee or tea every morning, or you can just blow it out and have these crazy fun flavor bombs with cookies. And so I think that's so great that this small little thing can really do so much, right? And then my cheesecake souvlaki, because it's so interactive. I really love this. It's cheesecake, it's chocolate, it's all the kinds of fixins loaded with these toppings. But you really interact with people and they get so excited when they get to decide what's going on top here. And it is so fun. And also it's a great way to come up with new flavor ideas and combinations because you might have some awesome ones in mind, but other people do too. That's like how, how Ben and Jerry's got the idea for chocolate chip cookie dough. Somebody they had a suggestion box and somebody dropped that in there. And that's how they came up with chocolate chip cookie dough. And look at the sales on that ice cream flavor. Like, it's amazing. Before you give us your third one, tell me about this cheesecake souvlakia. I'm totally uninitiated. Well, in Greece, everything like souvlaki is on a stick. It's, it's street food on a stick, meat on a stick, whatever. And so I wanted to do something with cheesecake for this festival. And I thought, what can I do? And so then I'm like, I'm putting it on a stick, man. I am bringing it to the people. It's got chocolate. It's got all kinds of goodness inside. And then on top, I have canisters with all the fixins. And you get to pick what you want to put on there. So I have like thousands of pictures of different concoctions. And it's so fun. It's really so fun. Everybody, when we when I sell those, everybody wants to work that station because it's like the most fun, like interacting with people doing that. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to get a cheesecake souvlakia in my mouth. Yeah. That's number two. What is the third on the Lex Mount Rushmore? Besides the one I haven't made? Yeah. Um, you said you wanted four. I'll, I'm giving it to you. I'm I being a know. gracious host. I'll try. I'm going to say a brownie, man. I love making brownies. Mostly, I really love eating the batter in the bowl. But <laughs> as, as a tried, true, and tested brownie guy myself, I'm going to ask you for a little advice. What separates the professional brownie baker from the plebeian brownie baker like myself? What's the key to leveling up my brownie game? How long you bake it. Uh-huh. Listen, in Chicago, man, I used to make box brownies all the time. And everyone would be like, I always bring them to Aggie's parties and stuff. And everyone, I was like famous for brownies in Chicago. And they were a box back in the day. And it's just the time, you know. <laughs> but anyhow, I love a brownie because it is such a good jumping off point to anything. You can do so much with a brownie, but it's such a good base. So Lex, as I've alluded to, I like to bake. I think it's fair to say that I love to bake. And that is, in fact, why I so desperately wanted to have you on the podcast, because I wanted to hear you talk about something I love to do. Now, look, I try to keep in shape. I work out a whole bunch. I like to move. But the days that I spend in the kitchen, particularly if I spend a day baking, 
it exhausts me physically in ways that nothing else does. There's like this unique kind of exhaustion that's exclusive to baking. And you do it day in and day out. You and I are about the same age. Can you give me a sense of the physical toll that baking takes on your body and kind of like how you grapple with that grind? Oh my gosh, when I first started, I would come home from work and I'd pass out at like seven and I thought, what is wrong with me? I'm sick. Something's wrong with me. I just wasn't (laughs) used to like getting up at the crack of dawn and everything and then being on my feet for eight, 10, 12 hours. It is, it is a lot on the body. You got to make sure you have really good shoes. I wear compression socks to work. I wear them to sleep. I wear them all the time. And I work out because I'm obviously not alone, but with somebody picking up 60 pounds of batter, you know, these and the bowls, I don't even know how much the bowls weigh. They're so heavy without being filled. So it's a lot. And you're carrying trays, 20, 30 pounds of stuff on these trays, you know, from whatever you're prepping to go into the oven, freezers, whatever. It really does take a toll. So I work out. I'm a runner, but also like core strength is key. So I do Pilates and then it's, it takes a lot, but you get used to it after a while. But I I would have massages like every week and a half, two weeks, I'd have a massage. They're a lot cheaper in Greece than they are here. (laughs) You don't make as much either. So maybe not, but I would have a guy come to my house. He was a sports masseuse and it makes all the difference. Like you really do need to take care of your body and think about what you're putting inside of it too. But you definitely need that strength and a lot of sleep. You need to good sleep. So, but you, you get used to it, but definitely you have to take care of yourself. Well, you got to take care of your body and you got to take care of business. And hitherto in our conversation, we focused exclusively on baking. And while baking is the core of what you do and it's what you love, I get the sense that you also love the business and you, you're really trying to build something. I know you're excited about it. So can you walk us through your business and your ambitions for your business 630 by Alexia? I do love business. And for me, it's customer service. It's problem solving. When I sell wholesale, I sell to restaurants, bakeries, cafes, pastry shops, and they will contact me or I will approach them. They'll say, hey, we need a dessert or an entire dessert menu, or maybe I'm developing a a dessert specific to that establishment. I have a catalog that they can choose from, or I am doing recipe development for them. And all of this is done within a given price point. Usually they'll say, we want to sell it for this price range and we want to make X percent markup on it. And then I can figure out how much I need to sell it for so I can get my profit off it too. And that way we can see how much each piece needs to cost to produce. It doesn't end there. There's also the customer service side of my, of my job. And to me, that is really huge. So far, I do the sales. I do some of the deliveries. I like to see what is going on. And I I go to the establishment. I talk to the chefs. I talk to the owners and managers. I see how things are selling. I want to go into the kitchens. I talk to the staff. I see how the products are being stored, how they're being plated. Say they need to be heated. Are they being heated correctly? I need to make sure everything is on point. 
I look to see how products are being presented at the counter or in a grab-and-go fridge. And this face-to-face -face is really, really important for a few reasons. First, you're ensuring that you maintain your consistency and your quality, which is your reputation and it's the reputation of the establishment. It also allows you to build an emotional attachment so they'll wanna to come to you for a new product. Um, if something goes wrong, instead of just dropping you, they'll let you know and you can problem solve the issue and you can try out new products to see how they're received. And I will say this is really important because I know a lot of people who have been dropped by clients and they don't know why. Hmm. And then you might hear through the grapevine, it was a consistency issue. Consistency really is key in this industry because without it, you're done. Keeping up this customer service, tasting your product, you know, making sure everything is, is exactly how it was agreed upon. It really allows you to stay on top of your product and ensure its quality and integrity. I get the sense that there are people who can deal with customer service and maybe they're even good at customer service, but it's the last thing in the world that they want to do. Like that sort of hand-holding and sometimes ass-kissing, it just doesn't come naturally to them perhaps, or for other reasons, they don't like it. And then there are people I've learned that really just enjoy customer service through and through. Where are you on that continuum? I love it. My whole life has been customer service. Even as an attorney, you meet with clients, you're dealing with their case, which to them is everything, you know? I mean, it's all customer service. I've been in the food and beverage industry almost my entire life. You really, really learn how to relate and interact with people having all kinds of days from all walks of life. And I think it's so very important and I really, really love it because for me, it just is another way to make everybody shine. Hey Lex, can you draw for me a Venn diagram of Greek customer service and Texas customer service, or if necessary, Athenian customer service and Houston customer service? Um, I wouldn't say that Greece was necessarily known for its customer service. <laughs> Especially in, I mean, <laughs> I just wouldn't. In, in the food and beverage industry, especially, they don't work off tips. They get paid a salary. So, and also the culture is not, I've waited two hours for a bill before, like on a sandwich at the beach. I mean, Yeah, I think whatever. I've been to that place. So, yeah, <laughs> but there are a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but for me, I mean, I started out like as a teenager, as a hostess, and I had the most insane training and it was customer service, customer service, customer service. And that's something I've carried through to every job I've ever had. And so for me, it's super, super important. So in Greece, I never lost a client. I was always making sure that Everybody was happy. I, I'm growing a business. I've got a reputation to maintain and everybody needs to be happy. And I've taken that with me. I, I think customer service is so, so very important. I do realize that it is sometimes cultural, but for me, that is a part of my American culture that I will take with me to the ground. I love it. I think it's so very important. 
And I'll bet you're great at it too. And look, you kind of have to be in the U.S. Like everything else in America, you know, baking is super competitive, right? You got the cake cars and the cupcake wars and you got nailed it. But like all of that, like pop culture competition aside, Lex, you operate in a really competitive marketplace. There are a lot of people perhaps inspired by these baking shows on TV, you know, who really would like to, you know, take over your kitchen. Like there's a lot of people who want your customers. There's a lot of people who would like to do what you're doing. Your job is super cool and a lot of people want it. The wolf's always at the door in this competitive American marketplace where you have to have a killer product and you have to have killer customer service. And I guess I just wonder how your need to thrive in this really competitive marketplace influences how you do your work. I think these shows and there is definitely such a competitive marketplace. I think it really forces me to maintain high standards and consistency, quality, solid customer service, accessibility. And it also feeds into my creative side by allowing me to push the envelope a bit in terms of product development. Um, I don't wanna reinvent the wheel. And of course you have to have some standard items because people really need to feel comfortable when they walk in the door. But I, I think that these shows have really helped push the door wide open in terms of the types of items on offer. And I think with all the shows and the hype, people are really more keen to try new things and pay for a bespoke cake versus picking one up at the supermarket than they were before. And of course, there is that challenge in baking of staying fresh. You know, you've got to maintain the hustle and pace. You've got to keep going, pushing yourself because there is that need to stay relevant because you do, like you say, have all these wolves knocking at your door and but it is, it's a really competitive cutthroat industry. So you just got to keep the hustle and really just be at the top of your game. She's a hustler. And I'm really heartened to learn that you have this bona fide connection to business and customer service, that it's kind of baked into who you are going back to the Pappas restaurants back in the 90s when you started working in the food industry, your high standards will get you everywhere. But I wonder where you want your high standards to take you. And to put that question another way, Lex, what's the dream for 630 by Alexia? The dream? Oh, Dan. My vision is big. <laughs> um, I named my company after my grandparents' street address. And I just want to continue their legacy and philosophy of philoxenia. That's a Greek word. It literally translates to friend to a stranger. And it can be something as simple as like a smile or helping a stranger or inviting someone in your home. And I just want to create a brand that makes people happy and that's synonymous with quality, consistency, fun. I want to help create jobs for people. That's really, really important to me. This whole thing started because when I was in Greece, 
during this horrible economic crisis, I saw an opportunity where I could really create some jobs for people. And I really want to build on that. And I want to be very involved with community development and help build connections and um, create a brand that when people think of it, it's really positive. You know, just like rainbows, confetti bombs, and lots and lots of glitter. <laughs> just like <laughs> pure, innocent joy, but something that gives back and it just really continues like my grandparents' legacy. That's really important to me. You gave me goosebumps. And that should be enough. But I have to ask, would you please share the stories of one professional triumph and one professional failure. Let's begin with the failure, if you will, so that we can end on the note of triumph. When I was in Greece, this high-end patisserie approached me to create and run an American section. I had already started my own business and I met with them because I knew the guy, but I wasn't really interested in working for anyone. However, they were located in a market that I wanted to get into. So we talked and I said, the money wasn't there. And also I said, this isn't really gonna work for me. I will do it part-time if you market me because then I could take a hit in the money for getting into the market. And so they said, absolutely. And so I started working there part-time while continuing my own business and they were not marketing me. And after some time, I started having talks and it was like, oh, yes, of course, this takes a long time. You know that. Well, I don't know that. And we're redoing the store. As soon as we finish the store, we're going to I'm going to take care of you. And then it was like, oh, we're redoing the kitchen. And it was on and on. And finally, I just was like, guys, this is enough. Like I couldn't take it anymore. And I left. But I way overstayed my welcome. Not only did my bank account take a hit, but like. I was taking days from my business that I could have been spending growing my business. So I will never make that mistake again. It was a huge learning experience for me. Well, it sounds terribly frustrating. It was. And, you know, I really wanted it to work. But, I mean, you got to know when to, when to walk. And I definitely should have walked a long time before that. No, sorry about that. I mean, you know, you, you turned the corner. You found success. But yuck. I mean, well, you know, it happens. It could be worse. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Give me some success, Lex. You've been rocking this business for some time now. I'm sure it's hard to pick a story, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway because I'm that kind of fella. I moved to Greece. I was an adult Greek school dropout. Um, <laughs> I could read it and write it, but I didn't know what the words meant. I um, knew about three people in that country because our family had left or passed away and I built this business. I was very successful at it. And I feel like that is such a success. And I think about it. I'm so hard on myself sometimes. But then I think, like, who moves to a country? I mean, sure, people do all the time, by the way. That is the immigrant story, right? But <laughs> I moved to this country where I, like, I really succeeded. And I was so proud of myself because it was really, it was hard. It was traumatizing. It was fighting all the time. But people want to help you. If you're a good person and you ask for help, people will help you. And I asked for help. It's humbling because you're in a different kind of position than you maybe ever were. But that's, that's my biggest success. I'm, I'm really proud of what I've done. 
And you should be proud of it, Lex. You're bringing joy to people's lives. You got confetti bombs and glitter bombs and (laughs) sugar bombs. And you seem to come by it very earnestly. You love what you do because you love that it brings joy into people's lives. And I find that endlessly heartening. You, ma'am, are a reason for hope. Lex, thank you so much for being on the Studs podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. I really, it was really fun. And I really do love what I do. And um, I have so much fun listening to all these different windows into life that you share with us. And I just want to say to anyone out there who has a dream for themselves, don't be afraid to do it. If it doesn't work out, you're still winning. Go do your thing. You won't regret it. There you have it, my friends. That's Lex Bedoyan. She's awesome, right? Glittery goodness. Hey, if you enjoyed this conversation and you want to do your part to share these conversations with real working people, do me a favor. Take a second here. Just a second. Think about your favorite Studs episode. Could be this one. Could be Kayla Ming. Could be Justin Jackson. Could be Jocelyn Gonzalez. Doesn't matter who. Maybe you just like the guest. Maybe the work they did intrigued you or otherwise mystified you. Maybe the conversation somehow left a mark on you. Whatever the case may be, here's what I want you to do. Think about a person in your life who might just share your interest in that interview. Copy the link and send the episode to that person. There, that's how you help this brother out. Man, I like talking to Lex so much. She's got some insane energy. She's funny too. I like her a lot. I hope you do too. All right, I gotta get to sleep. I don't know that I'm built to burn the midnight oil talking into this microphone, man. I gotta give a lecture at 8 o'clock in the morning. Oi! That's all right. I love it. I'm grateful for my work. Got a lot of things to be grateful for. Despite what seems like our collective effort to careen from crisis to crisis, I still got a lot to be grateful for. I hope you feel the same way, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Please take care of yourselves, kids. Show some love, support your people, and try to stay strong.